Welcome to another episode of Data Privacy Unlocked. My name is David Stouse. My guests today are Massachusetts Representatives Andy Vargas and Massachusetts Representative Dave Rogers. They are co-sponsors of House Bill 142 entitled the Massachusetts Information Privacy and Security Act. Representatives, uh, thank you for being with us today. Good to be here. I wanted to, to start. I, there's there's probably, you know, for, for our listeners now, they, they know we record these and these come out a few days after we record, um, obviously goes through an editing process, but the sort of level set about where we are right now, um, the the bill just got out of committee, the Joint Committee on Advanced Information Technology, the Internet and Cybersecurity by a 12-0 vote um, just a couple of days ago, as we sit here right now. Um, so let me ask you, uh, Representative Rogers, I'll start start with you. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about the process to date on this bill and you know, sort of your expectations moving forward? Uh, you must be encouraged by it getting out of the committee. Sure. Well, first things first, thanks for having me on. This is a fascinating topic and a really important one. And of course, I'm pleased to be here with my co-sponsor and colleague, uh, Representative Vargas, and uh, proud to partner with him on this. And, um, you know, uh, just to frame the conversation, uh, you know, we're living through an unprecedented upheaval of the way our society is organized and uh, an, inf uh, an information age uh, where our personal experience is being harvested by private companies, often without our knowledge and really our informed consent. Uh, so as I uh, talk about a lot in this area, of what's becoming rapidly a pretty famous book in this space, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism by uh, Shoshana Zuboff, a, a professor who really um, lays out how uh, these companies are taking our personal data running it through machine learning and artificial intelligence to to really create uh, a dossier, a compendium of information on us and, and try to influence our behaviors in, in lots of different ways. So the goal of the legislation is to put our arms around this problem and to address it. And um, to your specific question, certainly I'm pleased that a bill came out of committee. That's the first step in a pretty long process to ultimately get into law. Um, I think we do have some concerns about changes the committee made. Uh, that's not atypical or unusual. I mean, bills change as they move through the process, but there's a couple key things that were left out that I think Representative Vargas and I will probably work to get put back in, but it is encouraging that a bill did come out of committee. So the conversation continues. It's fantastic. And Representative Vargas, maybe I can invite you to sort of offer your own thoughts on where the bill stands today coming out of committee. And, and obviously, if you want to comment about any of the, the changes that were made uh, between the bill you originally um, introduced and what came out of committee. Sure, so it's great to be here with you guys. Thank you again for putting together uh, this podcast and for interviewing folks across the country around these privacy issues and the legislation that's being introduced uh, in several states. I think this is a really important time for uh, consumer privacy and protection laws uh, as they pertain to the internet um, around the country. And in many ways, as a, as a nation and as a state, we're catching up. Um, this is legislation that we should have passed a long time ago. Um, and so as, as Rep. Rogers mentioned, you know, it's exciting that we were able to get uh, a bill out of committee. Um, through that process, uh, there were changes that were made that uh, we are going to be reviewing thoroughly to make sure that uh, we're advocating accordingly to, you know, either get back in or try to reach some some sort of compromise. 
But I think in the big picture, the good news is that this is a priority uh, for the committee uh, and the chairs of, of both committees, uh, of both chambers in the House and the Senate. Um, and that's encouraging um, because in the middle of, you know, still a global pandemic and the recovery process, there are all sorts of priorities for legislators. Um, and the fact that uh, this bill is one of them uh, is a big deal. Um, so we're really excited that the bill's moving forward and we'll continue to advocate accordingly for uh, the provisions that are most important to protecting residents and consumers alike. Representative Vargas, let me let me stick with you for just a follow-up question. There, is is I've tracked you know state privacy legislation across you know 40, 50 states. I've learned that I I know very little about state legislation. Well, we share that in common. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's like a fool's errand trying to track state privacy legislation because it's it's different state to state. Uh, here. You know, and, and again, excuse my ignorance, but you had a joint committee uh, and, and joint meeting between the House and the Senate. That committee passed the bill. So what what is the next step? Does it go to one chamber or another? Does it go to another committee? Could you, could you kind of fill our listeners in on that? Yeah, so the, the joint committee uh, is comprised of both House members and Senate members. And a favorable report means that essentially the committee has decided that this bill deserves to move along the legislative process. And the next step on that is usually going to the Ways and Means Committee. Um, in some cases, um, bills have to jump to another committee because they're relevant uh, to that uh, issue area as well. Uh, but in this case, um, we'll be working with the Ways and Means Committee to try to identify uh, some uh, changes that we'll want to make uh, to the bill um, and to also advocate for it to actually hit the floor. Right? It's one thing to get a bill out of committee. It's a first and very vital step uh, in the legislative process. Um, but uh, it's another thing to make sure that we're doing all the advocacy and the consensus building needed to actually get the bill to, to hit the floor in either chamber. And will that be the uh, House Ways Means Committee, Senate, or is that also a joint committee as well? Uh, the, the, each chamber has their own Ways and Means uh, Committee. Um, Dave, do you know if this was sent to the House or the Senate? I think since there are two versions, uh, there was a House bill and a Senate bill. My understanding is that the House bill went to House Ways and Means and the Senate bill went to Senate Ways and Means. Um, Rep. Rogers, does that sound right? I believe that's correct, although candidly, I'm not certain. Again, this just happened a couple days ago. Um, uh, but, but I think you described the process well, whether it goes to the House or Senate uh, or both. One body would take it up first. Um, the way it works in a bicameral legislature is one, either the House or Senate has to pass it, then it goes over to the Senate or the House, vice versa, either way, and has to pass another chamber. Any differences between the two, and there are always differences between the two. The House and Senate never pass an identical version. In my nine years, I think I've seen one time where it was identical. So there's always some differences. And then a conference committee is appointed, three members of the House, three in the Senate, to work out and negotiate differences. And those are very real. Even though Democrats control both chambers here in Massachusetts, those become very real negotiations as each side argues for why its version is preferable. And um, so, um, but the first step is either the House or the Senate has to take it up and pass a version of it. Right. And it sounds like some to be determined there. And obviously we'll be we'll be tracking. We'll find out that that answer in, in due time. Uh, is it right that the Massachusetts legislature is open basically through next December? That would essentially be the deadline for for getting this bill passed. 
Well, we end formal sessions on July the 31st. So it's an election year. And um, we end formal sessions on July 31st, meaning that where all the members are assembled or during <laughs> during COVID, during the pandemic, voting from home in some cases. But um, we can take formal sessions where roll call votes through the 31st. And, and, and uh, you see a flurry of activity in, in June and July as we go toward that deadline. Now, bills can still pass after July 31st because you're correct in saying that the, the legislative session, you know, it still continues to roll through the end of the year. And uh, but it can be a little more tricky to pass something uh, once formal sessions end on July 31st. Thank you for that. And and like I said, it's it's always a mystery, all these individual state <laughs> legislatures. So things that seem so simple for you are, are so complicated for us on the outside. I, I certainly appreciate Oh, sure, it. sure. It really is different from state to state. But let me let me ask you this, Representative Roger, because you got into a, a touch earlier. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of maybe uh, provide some more insight into it. How did you get interested in this topic, this, this data privacy topic? Well, you know, I try to stay abreast of what's going on in the world. And um, um, just reading and following the news, um, watching various documentaries. Um, as I mentioned, reading uh, uh, Professor Zuboff's book about surveillance capitalism. I just uh, there's a growing awareness. Civil rights and civil liberties has been an area I've specialized in in my work ever since I got to the legislature, uh, and um, was able to pass, for instance, a face surveillance uh, limitation on the use of facial recognition software as part of our police reform bill last year. So these kind of issues, the intersection of law and technology and privacy are, uh, I think, vitally important and of interest to me. And I think there's just a growing awareness that um, we are living through this unprecedented shift in society and how information is used. Um, as uh, someone once said, uh, we don't search Google, Google searches us. And I think there's just a growing awareness that these companies are amassing huge amounts of information, where we go, location information, what we do, who we associate with, what videos we watch, what music we listen to, who our friends are. And they're, again, taking that information, running it through advanced machine learning and artificial intelligence to not just target us with advertisements. It goes beyond that. It's trying to push and shape behavior uh, in, in countless ways that I think we still don't fully understand. So, and these are the biggest companies in the country, some of them, Google and Facebook and Amazon. So it's an unprecedented shift, just like the industrial revolution back in the 1800s. We are living through that now and the law needs to catch up. And so that's sort of what's driving me and, and I think representative Vargas as well of, of a desire to, you know, work together with him to, to try to address this really important issue. Representative Vargas, let me let me sort of pick up where uh, Representative Rogers gave me a perfect segue and, and to ask you about uh, how you got interested in this area. Yeah, so very similar to Rep. Rogers, um, this is a very relevant issue to uh, many of my constituents, but candidly also uh, my generation, um, one of the few millennial um, legislators uh, in Massachusetts, and it's something that uh, several of us are, are keenly aware of. Um, I think also the reality is, is that ahead of this session, my team and I had set forth a plan to develop an Internet-based agenda for this session. And so what were the set of bills that we wanted to file relative to 
competition, privacy, uh, internet access, um, speed, affordability. Um, and this was one of those bills uh, that is a part of a broader package that we filed this session uh, relative to internet access, affordability, competition, and privacy. Um, and this privacy piece is continuing to be uh, even more relevant and more important in the lives of our constituents, particularly as many of them candidly are now watching documentaries on Netflix that are explaining this stuff in very uh, simple and blatant terms uh, that are easy for folks to understand. And so I think there's a growing awareness among not only you know policy nerds like me and Dave um, and, uh, and Reb Rogers, uh, but among actual everyday people um, that now understand what they're giving up uh, every time they turn on their cell phone. As, as a follow-up to this, you would, Representative Arvis, you, you had mentioned in your prior comments uh, other states, you know, sort of taking an eye to other states. And that's, that obviously piques my interest tracking all those bills, and I think piques the interest of the listeners. How much did the fact that you see California jumping in, Colorado and Virginia as well, how much did that factor in, if any, uh, to what you're trying to do? Yeah, I think it did have an impact. Um, here in Massachusetts, we like to be first, right? But um, we weren't first in this uh, situation, but I think we have the opportunity to pass the strongest and the best uh, Information Privacy Act uh, in the country. And I think there are places where other states have done really, really, really well, um, and, and kudos to legislators and coalitions in those states that made that happen. Um, but there's not quite as strong as uh, Europe's regulations. And so that's one thing that, that we're looking at right now is whether or not we can build consensus around having similar or um, you know, as strong of a privacy framework as they do in Europe. Um, so yeah, I mean, always, whenever another state or another you know, jurisdiction passes legislation that's in a similar uh, area, issue area that you're trying to work on, you always look towards you know, what has maybe worked, what could be done better. There are always opportunities to, to learn from others. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, speaking of the amended bill that came that came out of the committee, I think it's, I think it's obvious. I think it's obvious that you guys did that where you you built on what others had done and maybe refined and advanced certain topics. One one thing that, that comes to mind is um, section six of the of the, the bill that passed out of committee would require, it's a GDPR requirement, as you mentioned, would require entities to have a lawful basis for uh, collecting information, processing information, either consent or necessary for performance of a contract or legitimate interests. Uh, and Representative Rogers, I can, I can sort of ask you about the, the influence that GDPR, Europe's law, you know, played on your decision-making, your, your bill drafting, and it seems to have played a, a fair amount. Sure, well, the GDPR is, is an important um, regulatory framework in, in Europe. I don't know that we need to uh, copy it uh, Exactly, but it does form a basis because it's a robust set of protections. And you mentioned uh, an important point about the legal basis for companies to use information. And one area that that's really important is this notion of opt-in or opt-out. And um, yeah, I happen to be a lawyer. I've drafted the contracts. The, the terms and conditions that we're asked to agree to when we click on a website and you see this little banner at the bottom or the top, you know, click OK to accept our privacy policy, our terms and conditions. No one reads these. I suppose I should make a caveat to that blanket assertion when I say no one. There may be a few people, but even, I'll tell you, I have. And even as a lawyer who's drafted contracts, you'd be hard pressed to fully understand the rights 
that you're giving up and what you're agreeing to with these very dense legal terms and conditions. So the bill that Representative Vargas and I introduced, the Massachusetts Inf Information Privacy Act, um, would require a really rigorous opt-in. That is, uh, consumers must affirmatively agree to give up this information. Whereas the bill that came out of committee, and I want to parse it more carefully, is more of an opt-out model forcing consumers website by website, application by application, to uh, manage their relationships with many different companies across the uh, portfolio of sites they use. So uh, I think that um, that's an area that's going to be uh, really important to continue to work on because I, I firmly believe it should be uh, an opt-in model, not an opt-out. Representative Vargas, can I ask you to, to comment on that as well? I mean, you've both said in your opening remarks, you know, the bill underwent changes in the committee process. You, you both are going to work to get some of those changes reverted. It seems like the consent, the opt-in model, obviously, Representative Rogers identified that. Uh, so are there, are there other aspects that come to mind that, that you'd like to work on to, to, to put back into the bill? Yeah, I mean, I think the opt-in versus opt-out uh, challenges definitely one are going to be one going to be one of the areas that we're going to spend a lot of time uh, doing our homework on. I know that um, of the bills that have passed here in other states, um, none of them have uh, the same model as the GDPR uh, for the um, opt-in. Uh, and so we would be the first state to be able to make that happen. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a great opportunity for us as a state to make sure that we do it right uh, and hopefully provide a precedent for other states uh, to do the same. Um, one of the other areas is around biometric data as well. And again, as Rep. Rogers mentioned, uh, we want to make sure that we're carefully parsing through the bill. It's a, it's a lengthy bill and it's obviously complex, but there are going to be some uh, potential changes that we'll be looking to make relative to biometric data, um, you know, as, as this bill proceeds through the legislative process. Let me ask you, uh, maybe Representative Rogers, I'll, I'll turn to you first on this question. Uh, enforcement is such a big deal with these bills. Uh, I mean, Washington has lived and died. Washington Privacy Act has lived and died under enforcement, the prior right of action. Uh, the bill that came out of committee very clearly says there is no prior right of action. It'll be attorney general enforcement with the exception that there can be a prior right of action for data breaches. Um, that that uh, you know that that one sliver of, of data breaches is that something you will work on trying to trying to change or is that acceptable to you for enforcement? How do how do you see enforcement in these bills? Well, uh, you know, one piece uh, it's a great question. One piece is the bill as originally drafted it created a whole new state agency to do enforcement. Uh, this bill took a different approach, as putting as you noted uh, powers with the attorney general. We have a great attorney general in Massachusetts and. Uh, she does a lot of fine work. Um, I, I think, as you noted, though, it eliminates the private right of action, which um, that is a very powerful tool to correct corporate behavior. If you look all through um, recent history, the last 40, 50 years, so many consumer protection have resulted from lawsuits by, brought by private individuals. Now, what the critics of this will say is, well, is one person going to sue a big company like Google? Is one person? Well, no. What happens is um, they're often class actions brought by uh, lawyers uh, 
representing a class. Then the criticism of that, well, yeah, each member of the class will get 10 bucks and the lawyers will get a big chunk of the fees. Well, first of all, we don't know that that's true. The individuals might get a lot more, but that form of private enforcement has been one of the most powerful tools to protect consumers in the last 30, 40 years across the spectrum. Um, with product liability lawsuits against automobile manufacturers to force them to make their cars more safe and on and on. So um, tobacco companies. So uh, I know that uh, I'm sure that there were interests actively working to kill that piece of it. Um, I think it's important and I look forward to a conversation with our colleagues to try to convince them that to, to keep it in the bill. There's a, a lot to unpack there, but be, before I do, um, I want to ask Representative Vargas for, for his thoughts on the inclusion of a private right of action. Do you, do you see it the same way? Is it something you think is essential to one of these bills, or um, do you see it differently? Yeah, I mean, look, I think whenever you can ensure that accountability can come from uh, as many different and reasonable avenues as possible, uh, we should do that. Um, and I, I don't think that you know, as the, as the rep mentioned, we have a great attorney general right now, but we shouldn't bank on always having a fantastic attorney general that is going to prioritize these issues. Um, it should be in the hands of consumers. Let me ask you, Representative Rogers, because you, you mentioned in your original bill, um, and thank you for, for reminding me of this point, it would have created a data protection authority, a new state agency. This is what California just did with the California Privacy Rights Act. Um, so there would be the Attorney General's office, then a new state agency would essentially be a data protection authority for, for the state. Um, it sounds like you, that was something you think is, is still something that should be should be pursued. Ideally, yes, because you know what happens is you develop a subject matter expertise. You develop people, staff, lawyers, policy experts, uh, Tech technologists who can be hired to work at that agency who really know these issues uh, in detail. Now, uh, could that be accomplished through the attorney general's office? Yeah, but I think it would require staffing up and the AG hiring those same kind of experts um, because this really is an unprecedented shift in society um, and the ramifications um, have to know the law, to know technology and to understand how artificial intelligence to understand how companies use this information is, uh, I thought, best housed in a new department staffed by experts who really understand the material. I think that's the best way to go. Uh, and we'll see if we can convince the colleagues uh, of ours to to go that direction. Another um, interesting aspect of the bill, and I, I believe this was there when you uh, first introduced it and it remains perhaps changed, but remains in the bill to date is data brokers. Uh, there is a lot in this bill on requiring data brokers to register uh, with the state to pay a yearly fee. And then if they don't pay that fee, I think they can have upwards, we saw in the, the bill that came out of committee, they can have upwards of $100,000 a year in fines uh, for uh, failing to register. So now you Representative Vargas said, Kind of ask your your opinion on this this concept of data brokers and having to register with the state and pay fines. Is that um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's an important provision. These data, data brokers are making money off of the public, right? And it's our job as uh, public officials to make sure that 
um, that business is contributing to the regulatory framework necessary to protect the consumers that they're harvesting data and selling data on. Um, and so I think it's going to be very important for us to have a strong uh, regulatory framework around uh, these data brokers. And I think that that gets even more challenging when we get into uh, talking about this opt-in versus opt-out model and biometric data and location information. Um, you know, our original bill prevented companies from monetizing uh, people's location information. Um, the bill that came out of committee provides some, uh, you know, some some uh, framework to limit it, but it still allows uh, location information to be monetized uh, and traded on an, on an open market. Um, and so I think, um, you know, that in addition to the sale of biometric data, uh, you know, particularly in an environment that uh, is an opt-out instead of an opt-in, uh, provides for a challenging environment for consumers to protect themselves. Representative Rogers, let me, can, can I invite you to kind of share your thoughts on, on data brokers? It, it, it does seem like it was an important piece of this bill to you guys. Yes, it is important. And but I would echo and build on what uh, Representative Vargas just said, that uh, before we get to people brokering data, the heart of the debate and the fundamental paradigm shift that we're trying to accomplish is the collection of data in the first place. And if you'll indulge me, um, I'll just read a couple sentences from the book I referenced, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. Um, and and uh, I think it frames the issue pretty well. It says, we worry about companies that amass our personal data and we wonder why they should profit. Who owns the data is the question we ask. But every discussion on data protection or data ownership amidst the most important question of all. Why is our experience rendered as behavioral data in the first place? Right? right. Why, just because we choose to go on Facebook or run a search on Google or have our location information on our smartphone, why all of a sudden does this become the harvesting of multi-billion dollar enterprises? And, and it's used without our knowledge, often with without our consent, unless you count clicking OK on some privacy policy that no one understands. As that same author points out, we shouldn't call them privacy policies. We should call them surveillance policies. They're surveillance policies. That's what they really are. No one understands them. No one reads them. And they are policies of surveillance. So I think... It's good that the committee's looking at um, some punitive uh, measures or enforcement measures against data brokers. But the bigger question is, how are they getting all that data in the first place? Why should they be allowed to do this in the first place? And how can we protect consumers' data? That, that to me, is the real debate we're, we're, we have to have. And, and it sounds like you, this bill, as it came out of the committee, doesn't quite go as far as you'd want to on that issue, in particular in that op opt-in model. No, no, because it puts all of the onus on individuals. Who, again, as I said, we, I don't know if you've ever clicked <laughs> on these terms and conditions and read them. Uh, again, I'm a lawyer. I've done it. it they're dense. Even as a lawyer, uh, they're hard to understand fully the ramifications. And most people don't look at them. 
And look, by the way, I, I guess I should add, look, we love the conveniences that technology provides in our world. It'd be hard to even describe the last five or 10 years of the innovations. You, you want to go to a restaurant, you just click on a button and up pops a screen of whether they have reservations. And then you want to, uh, you want a GPS? Well, it's right in your phone. You just click on your phone and and even if you don't have a GPS built in your car, it'll tell you the best way to drive there. And then when you get there, there's an app for parking and, and you know, on and on and on. Uh, and the technology has been led to amazing conveniences in our lives. So I, I think we have to admit that. But at what cost? At what cost? And the cost right now is far too high for what we're giving up. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of fascinating to, to think about. One one topic I, I wanted to ask you about, because I think it's I think it's related to your point, at least the bill that got out of committee, and I always look for this in the bills that come out these days, is this concept of uh, like a global opt-out uh, signal, right? So a consumer could um, go and, and download a web browser extension, and instead of having to opt-out every single time, they would actually be able to have that send a signal to every website or app saying, I opt out of tracking. I found that in the bill that came out of the committee, it's, it's in the regulations and the AG's office um, can issue regulations on that topic. Uh, but I can see from your face, because I can, I can see you on the screen here, Representative Rogers, that uh, maybe that doesn't go far enough for you, There's the, global, the, the opt out signal. Maybe it's just a piece of the puzzle for you. Yeah, I think so. I think. Uh... We in government uh, policy positions should be out to protect the consumer. And yes, do we have to consider legitimate business interests and listen to those who are entrepreneurs and business people who run these companies? And sure, everyone, it's a democracy, everyone has a voice, but we should be weighing, uh, coming down clearly on the side of individuals. and a framework that puts all the onus on individuals to try to manage their data across countless platforms with terms and conditions and privacy policies they don't really understand uh, just doesn't seem to be, you know, put us at the vanguard of really looking out for people's best interests. Representative Vargas, I want to go back to you for, for a second. And, and you know, you, you can certainly comment on uh, what Representative Rogers uh, also you know, just, just commented on, um, but I did want to ask you about um, your feelings on applicability of these of these statutes. The, the bill that came out of committee has this interesting structure uh, where basically the bill, you know, for I'm going to overgeneralize, uh, it applies to everybody, but certain sections like the rights and those types of things apply to like larger businesses, 25 million in annual gross revenue or 100,000. Um, I'm less concerned about the specifics there, about you know, what this bill does and what, what your bill did, but what do you think? I mean, for applicability purposes, what is that sweet spot about, like, you know, wanting to protect people's data versus trying not to stymie um, startups? Yeah, you know, it's a great question, and I come from the startup world. I work for a nonprofit called Entrepreneurship for All, and I think, you know, it's a, it's a balance, but when you think about who these data brokers are or who is really mining this data and, and capitalizing on it. Uh, it's traditionally not your small businesses, right? It's, it's traditionally not, um, you know, these micro entities in our communities. Um, but I do think it's worth making sure that the language and the regulations that we pass um, aren't um, ex exceedingly punitive on entities that are trying to do the right thing, but perhaps 
because they're so small, they don't have a, you know, an expanded legal team that, you know, has ensured that they have the right, you know, privacy language and on their website or, you know, on their reservation platform for the restaurant, for example, um, that we're not, you know, going after those small entities that are trying to do the right thing, but just because they don't have a vast and expanded legal team, they haven't been able to, you know, fully comply yet. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the more important questions are the ones that, you know, Rep, Rep Rogers is asking around, you know, why have we just decided that it's okay um, to even opt in, right, for a lot of this data to be collected and sold? I mean, location information data in particular um, is a public safety uh, issue, right? When we think about the exceedingly tense uh, political environment that we're in right now, um, location information data can be utilized in many different ways on individuals, on journalists, on um, whoever. Uh, and so I think, you know, this is as much a, an internet and technology and privacy issue as it is a, a public safety issue. It's kind of fascinating. And, and where my mind goes to that is so on, you know, earlier this week, I talked with representative fields in Alaska, right? I mean, completely the other side of the country is wrestling with these, these same issues. Representative Fields is, is really um, concerned about children's privacy issues, right? Uh, really conceptualized about like the harm to children on all of this data collection. And I don't, you know, separate and apart from the bill, I mean, it is what it is, but I'm kind of interested in, in your opinions on, you know, the tracking of children, the selling of products to children, those types of things. Do we need a better balance in this country? Maybe I can start with you, Representative Rogers, and, and then move to Representative Vargas. Well, sure. I mean, um, I think that's an important issue. Um, I tend to think of it in uh, across, you know, all demographics and that we need to establish rules of the road for everyone um, uh, in terms of particular protections for children. Uh, I'm open to any conversation on that. There's already a fair amount of law at the federal level on uh, protecting children in an online environment, but certainly it's incredibly important. So, so the simple answer is yes, it's, it's gotta be part of the dialogue. Representative Vargas, any, any thoughts further on, um, you know, just sort of this concept of, and I mean, you make a great point, Representative Rogers, right? I mean, you're trying to make a bill that applies to everybody, right? Across the board, regardless of age. Um, any further thoughts on that, Representative Vargas, you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to be really intentional about protecting kids, given that they're growing up as digital natives. Um, and, you know, in many cases, you know, right now I'm, I'm expecting a kid in like five weeks and we're having conversations around, you know, do you want to post a picture of him, you know, or, or do we want to hold that private and only share with family? Um, these are very real conversations that are happening with parents uh, across the country. And so I think we have to be as intentional as possible in, in protecting, of course, everybody, um, but particularly our children who are spending more time on screens and are more uh, exposed to social media than any other generation. Well, first, congratulations. I'm I'm glad we got Thank this you. recorded before you had the kids so that you're not sleep deprived. <laughs> 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 so yeah, con congratulations on that. And, and is this Thank your, you. I, I want to ask if this is your first because this is a privacy podcast and that would be way too right. interesting. <laughs> Um, yeah, but this is I, my seventeenth kid. So your seventeenth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Congratulations. That's a joke, by the way. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's fantastic news and congratulations. Love to hear it. Um, 
But let me ask you this. I mean, we, we just maybe have a few more minutes left to, to chat. But when I've talked with lawmakers who have gotten into this area of law, they, they sort of say to me, Dave, you know, I, I just never I never realized how much the exemptions would come into play during the negotiation process. Right. So, you know, there's there's federal laws like you talked about. And the question is whether it's just exempt the data or exempt the entities. Um, I did notice the bill that came out of the committee, at least, would uh, exempt higher ed and nonprofits, but only for two years after the effective date. So, so higher education and nonprofits would have to comply within two years. So I guess it maybe kind of Representative Argus for, you know, I ask you first, but I mean, I guess this fits into the general contours that Representative Rogers was was sort of teasing out, which is like general applicability. I and mean, what's your what's your concept there about, you know, how much should this bill apply to companies that are, are regulated by potentially other laws? Yeah, I mean, I think the intent there, and I don't want to speak, you know, on behalf of, you know, the committee, but I think the intent there is to give, you know, higher ed institutions or nonprofits um, a little bit longer of a ramp uh, to be able to comply, uh, given the, the multitude of um, caseload that they have uh, and uh, the constraints that, you know, those entities face in, in many other areas. Um, but I think it's going to be important for us to monitor how that language um, changes or improves throughout the process. Representative Rogers, you know, invite you to, to comment on this, this, this role of exemptions, you know, and, and this concept of it applying to higher education and, and nonprofits. Where, what are your thoughts on that? Sure. I mean, I think um, you often see in lawmaking uh, carve outs where certain entities are exempted or given um, additional period of time to comply. Um, and that's part of a normal back and forth negotiation over legislative language. I um, start with first principles and first principles is we have an unprecedented harvesting of personal information uh, in this um, new age we're living in and the ramifications for individuals and for society as a whole are huge. So the minute you talk about, well, we're going to create a whole bunch of new rules to protect consumers, but this whole other group of companies won't have to comply with them, um, uh, you, you know, is concerning. Uh, now, uh, I get that some smaller entities might say, well, the costs of compliance for us would be burdensome. Okay, we'll have that conversation, uh, but should it be, well, these laws don't apply to you at all, or do you just have longer to comply? Does some of the law apply, some of it doesn't, and, and exactly how to get that balance right is, uh, you know, it's a big deal, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, uh, so we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, th thank you for that. Let me let me uh, switch gears and, and come to, to the last topic I wanted to wanted to ask you both about. And I, and I whenever I talk to lawmakers, state lawmakers on these issues, I, I always ask this question and, um, you know, but I, and I'm always very interested in the responses, you know, state versus federal is the question, right? I mean, you know, you are lawmakers on the state level, you're pushing very aggressive privacy legislation. You're obviously hoping to get it passed. Do you, you think that this is, and, and Representative Vargas, maybe I can start with you, do you think if this is an issue that's, you know, the federal government should take up um, versus the states and sort of like where's your confidence level that the feds would, would do that? 
Yeah, I mean, this is the million dollar question on many of these consumer privacy issues or just consumer um, protection issues is this issue of sort of preemption and the federal government's role versus the state and um, industry will use the term hodgepodge of regulations from one state to another. Um, But we've waited long enough for the federal government, Congress to act. Uh, and develop a, a necessary framework that protects our constituents. And it's our role at the state level to make sure that we're doing what needs to be done to protect our constituents and to empower our constituents um, in the face of inaction at the federal level. So I think waiting around for the federal government to candidly you know, do anything uh, is a risk uh, and in many ways is a gift to industry to continue to delay. Representative Rogers, let me, let me sort of invite your comments on on uh this issue of state versus federal government sure well i think we've watched in the last 30 40 years in america the governance in washington deteriorate um accomplishing legislative goals seems to be more and more difficult the term we always hear is gridlock dysfunction um and i mean biden was able to get the arpa american rescue plan and an infrastructure bill um, but whether he'll get much more, I don't know, in a closely divided Congress. So I agree with what Representative Vargas said uh, and said so well, is that what uh, lobbyists and advocates for these companies say, oh, we don't want to face a hodgepodge and various rules and regulations. But in essence, that is just a call for delay. Uh, it means there'll be no regulation. We see it with uh, net neutrality. Obama put rules in place, Trump overturned them. There was a rulemaking, it was litigated. A federal judge said that states could make their own net neutrality laws. Um, you know, again, the, regu- the, the lobbyists and the advocates for the industry say, oh, no, don't do anything. We've got to wait for the feds. And, and by the way, I mean, to be fair, I, I get it would be good to have one uniform set of rules nationwide. I get that. But absent federal action, we can't just twiddle our fingers waiting. We, we have to act. And again, I've used the word unprecedented twice. Why not a third time? It's an unprecedented shift in in society with radical implications, with just transformative implications for individuals and the society as a whole. So um, th- this is a huge issue, uh, not just in Massachusetts, where Representative Vargas and I serve, but all over the country. And we've got, we've got to act. I, I don't know of any better way to end the podcast with you guys than, than on that last sentiment, uh, Representative Rogers, on this concept of we, we've got to act. I think that sort of sums up what you guys are, are trying so hard to do here. Um, let me let me just end then by thanking you. Um, it's been fantastic getting an opportunity to, to, to talk with you. I know that we will be watching very closely what happens in Massachusetts over the next, I suppose, six to eight months and uh, tracking this legislation as as closely as possible. So thank you once again for coming on today. Happy to do it. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks. Really enjoyed it.